Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this day as we seek you, speak to us through your word. Help us to take the familiar day that is Palm Sunday and to see it with new eyes and new hope. Help us to join with the disciples and proclaim triumphantly that Jesus is our King and the hope of the world. The world needs hope right now, Lord. Bring relief from this virus physically, mentally, and economically. But above all, let us grab onto the hope that is in King Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I begin this morning, I want to offer a word of thank you to Valley View Friends Church. I have heard story after story after story about people in our congregation who are picking up groceries for those in need, those who are leaving small presents of encouragement on the doorsteps of their neighbors. Many of you drove past Nicole Burwell's house this last week to honk a wish, a wish for her for a happy birthday. Some of you are calling and checking on people. Some of you have been letting me or elders know that you're available when a need arises. You have been living as the hands and feet of Jesus over the last few weeks. Thank you. Now, along with these reports, many of you have been asking if there's something more that you can do to help. And I'd offer these four things this morning for you if you're looking for something to do to help. First is this. Keep checking on your neighbors. Keep speaking encouraging words and keep doing the little things to bless others. These little things add up. And as we spend a little more time and a little bit more time in the stay home in order, it's going to be easier for us to stop. Please keep going. Keep doing those little things. Secondly, I would be remiss if I did not remind you how important the stay at home in order is. That action helps to slow the spread of the disease, and it takes some of the load off of our doctors and nurses and medical workers. Do not understand how important staying at home is. I, thirdly, I want to challenge each of you to take a minute each day to pray. I would suggest setting a time aside, specifically maybe 7 p.m. or maybe 7 a.m. if that's better, but take a full minute and pray against this virus and for the health of those who are sick. But also, pray specifically in this minute for our medical care workers. They are already going without sleep. They are already working under tremendous pressure. And they are already experiencing deep grief. They are willing to go in over and over to care for those who could make them sick. So pray for our medical workers, for their health, for the protection of their mind, and for the protection of their families. Each of us taking a minute to pray each day like this, will do a mighty work. Fourthly, Valley View has worked with the Pregnancy Resource Center for several years, and uh, it's been brought to my attention that the center has need. There are four items uh, that are in short supply at the Pregnancy Resource Center, and they are diapers, baby formula, baby wipes, and gloves. We are still working out the logistics of how to collect and deliver the items with proper social distancing. But if you have the ability to help, help is needed. The Pregnancy Resource Center provides a tremendous service to expecting mothers and to new mothers. And uh, that need does not go away because of this virus. So I hope on Monday or Tuesday of this week to be able to give you more specifics of how to be able to uh, deliver those items. But know that they need diapers, baby formula, baby wipes, and gloves.
Well, today is Palm Sunday. How strange it is to worship, celebrate, and remember this day apart from one another. Palm Sunday is a day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He was heralded as a king by his disciples and by the crowds. It was a group celebration. And for the church, it is also a group celebration. And so I miss everyone at our church. And I miss seeing our children entering the church with palm branches and and passing them out to the adults. It's a special day of good memories. There is still an important piece of Palm Sunday, perhaps the most important piece of Palm Sunday, that is still available to each one of us today. And that is this, the triumphal entry puts the question to each one of us, who is Jesus? And the decision that you make about who Jesus is matters. Declaring Jesus to be king grants you entrance into the kingdom of heaven. But it also affects our present moment. We have the ability to praise, rejoice, and hope in the face of any circumstances if Jesus is our king. Are you willing to declare Jesus king of your life? In the Gospel of Luke, you will find the story of the triumphal entry And in his account, Luke makes it clear that it is important whether or or not you and I declare that Jesus is king. So let's go to Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40, and read the text. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead, uh, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying this colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he responded, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey is both a wonderful and a strange moment. I think we can understand celebration, a moment when dreams are about to come true, the excitement of the crowd. But why all the the excitement over this man Jesus riding a donkey? I want to give some details for us to help see the picture a little better. The Feast of Passover is approaching, and many, many people are traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate. It's estimated that the population of Jerusalem, when they celebrate Passover, especially in the day of Jesus, that the population would swell an additional one to two million people every single year. These numbers are staggering, but they're recorded repeatedly throughout Jerusalem's history. Picture crowded streets during Jesus' entry. It's a crush of people. In ancient times, just about every home and storefront was converted into a hotel, an inn, to make room for everybody. And this still happens in modern times. 
as you picture the crowd uh, in this story, it starts with Jesus' disciples, but it ends up with a tremendous throng of people by the time Jesus reaches the city. The text tells us that Jesus approached Beth, Bethphage and Bethany, and as he approached them, he sent two of his disciples ahead to take charge of a colt, a donkey never before ridden. Now, Bethany is about two miles east of Jerusalem, and Bethphage, we're not sure entirely where it is, but it's about a, a mile east of Jerusalem. It's the outer limit of Jerusalem. It's a suburb, if you will. And the disciples, they go and they find the donkey, and they use Jesus's, for lack of a better way of describing it, password, the Lord has need of it. Perhaps it's strange for us to picture the owners just letting go of the donkey, but this is a story about King Jesus. He is moving with the authority of a king. Some might wonder if he even arranged for the donkey ahead of time. But regardless, Jesus is king, he's moving with the power of a king, and he's fulfilling prophecy in this story. Zechariah 9.9 9 tells us about the Messiah and it says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples bring back the donkey to Jesus and place their coats on it for a saddle and then place him on it. They celebrate as Jesus rides towards Jerusalem. In case you're wondering, the donkey was seen as a royal symbol but it's a symbol of peace and not of power. When kings entered important cities, they would often ride on war horses as a sign of their power. But here, Jesus is entering Jerusalem as, as a king, but a peaceful one. The disciples spread their coats on the ground as a makeshift royal carpet. This is not a new action. Israel Israel's done this before in the past to greet their kings. Second Kings 9.13 tells us about a man named Jehu and how Israel responds to his claim to be king. And the text tells us they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. And they blew a trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king! So they've laid coats at the feet of kings before as a royal carpet. And that's what's happening for Jesus now. Cloaks on the ground celebrate the coronation of a king. Luke doesn't mention it, but the other Gospels write uh, the disciples and the crowd cutting palm branches down and, and laying them across the road to wave, and to wave in greeting Jesus. Um, palms were a symbol of Jewish nationalism and independence, of victory. And this is an illustration of the kind of king the crowd wants and that the disciples want. They're looking for a liberator. And it's these palms that make today Palm Sunday. This is the picture you need to have in your mind. Jesus riding into Jerusalem, heralded as a king by a large crush of people, a crowd. The streets are packed, and this celebration is full of energy, and it's on the verge of going out of control. And there are two main groups that I want to bring to your t attention who are responding to Jesus. These groups responding to Jesus are his disciples and the Pharisees. His disciples are overjoyed. This is the moment they've been waiting for. Jesus is the Messiah. They, however, are mistaken in the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. They're expecting a liberator from the Romans, but Jesus is there to lay down his life and offer liberation from sin. The Pharisees, they're not as excited as the disciples are. They feel the claims about Jesus are overblown. They confront Jesus and they ask him to rebuke his disciples. 
the Pharisees oppose anything that might provoke Roman intervention. They want to avoid what might bring suffering onto the people. There have been messiahs, false messiahs in the past, and the Romans always respond to these messiahs with military force and crucifixions. So the Pharisees, they desire to stop what's happening, to avoid a, a struggle, an uprising. But in the Pharisees' desire to appease the Romans, they miss who Jesus really is. He is the true Messiah, the King. And Jesus tells the Pharisees that if the disciples don't proclaim him as king, the rocks would cry out. This comes from the text of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 11. The stones of the wall will cry out. The beams of the woodwork will echo it. And Luke asks us if we're like the disciples, boisterously proclaiming King Jesus, or if we're like the Pharisees, rejecting Jesus as king. We need to be like those first disciples. This week, as I've been getting ready for this message, uh, I've been reading some different commentaries. And one I have is uh, writings of uh, the pastors and theologians from the Great Reformation. And one of them, uh, with quite a name, and forgive me if I get this wrong, his name is Caspar von Schwenkfeld. Um, and he writes these words about Jesus. He says, actually he's writing these words about the disciples. He says, these uh, they do not ride alongside, alongside Christ. They only serve Christ in his triumphal procession, leading and pointing to Christ, praising and glorifying him, making the Lord Christ known with his grace, benefits, and truth. I like this description of the disciples. Their job is to point to Christ. They're not to join in the procession to be admired by others, but instead the disciples are to point to Jesus. And today, as Christians, this is still our job. We're to point to Jesus. And Palm Sunday reminds us that we are pointing to King Jesus. So how do we do this? There are three ways I see in this passage of how the disciples point to King Jesus. And the first one is with the spoken word. The disciples speak aloud for all to hear that Jesus is King. They speak aloud the evidence of his miracles. All four Gospels have the triumphal entry, but only Luke and John have Jesus clearly proclaimed as King, using the word King. Do not forget that for each one of us, there comes a point where we must speak the name of Jesus and the good news that he is King. You can be full of good deeds and show Jesus to others, but at some point, you must clearly speak who he is. And the times are more urgent than ever, when people are hurting, they need, more than ever, the relief that King Jesus can bring. So speak Jesus to others. D.L. Moody once spoke with a woman who didn't like the way that he uh, used to evangelize others. And, and she just point blank said, I, I don't like it. And Moody turned and looked at her and said, you know, I really don't like the way, the, my method either. What's your method? And the lady stood there and she replied that she didn't have a method. And so Moody said, well, then I still like mine better than yours. I suspect there are more of us than we would like to admit that when we are asked how we share the good news of Jesus, we simply say, I, I don't have a strategy. I, I kind of just wing it whenever it comes up. Christian, take a few moments and plan. Think about, even write down what you would say if you were to tell someone about Jesus. 
I'm not a person who's very good at thinking on his feet. Uh, I I like to think that I like to think about what I'm going to say before I say it. And in the moment when I have to think on my feet, I, I tend to freeze up. I need to have a little roadmap of what I will say uh, when I'm talking to someone. And that same is true when I talk about a person and receiving Jesus. Now, it's a verse that I share a lot with, with people at Valley View, and I share it uh, with anybody who will listen. This is a very important verse that I use to share Jesus with others. It's Romans 10.9. It's a great tool for helping lead someone to the Christian faith. It's a verse that I heard when I became a Christian, and it's about the most compact description of salvation that I could find. And Romans 10.9 simply says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Perhaps preparing on how to speak about Jesus and point people to Jesus is just writing that verse down and, and putting it in your purse or your wallet or keeping it on your, your phone with your person so that you're always ready to speak about Jesus. The second way that we can proclaim King Jesus is by our deeds. In our story today, the disciples' deeds proclaim Jesus as King. Their actions declare him to be King, and our actions are important in declaring the kingship of Jesus. I started our time today with a thank you for the many things that Valley View is doing to help bless others during this time. Those actions are a proclamation of Jesus, our King. We may help others because it's right and good and, and makes us feel good, but for the Christian, we serve others for one reason above all others. We serve others because Jesus is our King. And those acts of service are to others proclaim Jesus as our King. Thirdly, the third way we can proclaim Jesus as King is by knowing what we hope for. The disciples were looking forward to Jesus as the Messiah, their Savior. They proclaimed him as King because they could stand on the hope of the promises of God. Now last week, I talked about the promises of God in the story of Joseph back in the book of Genesis. Joseph is able to endure intense hardship because he stood on the promises of God, and that is where he placed his hope. For the Christian today, in, time, in the times we find ourselves in, one of the best ways we can point to King Jesus is by grabbing onto the promises of God with sure hope. Earlier this week, I was helping my son with his schoolwork. That is what all of us parents are doing right now. We're becoming teachers. Uh, now, fortunately, my son and I survived uh, this last week. Um, but this last week, uh, one of his assignments was to write a journal entry on what he hopes for. And my son wrote a few sentences that went like this. I have the hope of heaven. And, and when I saw that sentence, I thought, yes. Okay, and, and then he wrote a, a, a sentence down that said, I hope the virus goes away. And, and that made me sad knowing that this is on his mind as much as it is adults. And the final sentence that he wrote down really got to me. And he wrote these words. He said, I hope my dog lives forever. And uh, that little sentence just made me catch in my throat. And it, it just it, it touched my heart. First, because about a year ago, uh, Seth would say things about the dog like this. He would say, I, I kind of wish we never got the dog. Um, that usually would happen after the dog ate a favorite toy of his. Uh, but now we're in a place where Seth says, I, I hope she lives forever. I was struck because my son was using the word hope in a way that many people use the word hope today. 
Many people use the word hope as though it means I wish. I hope my dog will live forever. Or he could have simply said, I wish my dog would live forever. But biblical hope is different. It is not a wish. It is trust placed in the promises of God. Hope says that when we face tough times, we trust the promises of God anyway. The triumphal entry asks us if we are willing to call Jesus our King and put our hope in the promises of God. Now there's more to the story that I want to bring to your attention today. Luke's version of the triumphal entry adds Jesus' grieving over the city of Jerusalem. He knows what the future holds and it causes him great pain. So the story continues in Luke chapter 19 verses 41 through 44. It says this, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. They will not live. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus cries out that Jerusalem is on the edge of knowing what would bring them peace, but they have rejected it. And now it is hidden from them. What is left is tragedy. This comes to pass about 30 years later. In the year 70 CE, uh, Titus of Rome, he would come and he would level the city of Jerusalem. Rome was tired of Jerusalem rebelling and causing trouble. And so they decided to put an end to it once and for all. The city was besieged and eventually the temple was destroyed completely. And this is on the mind of Jesus as he enters the city. He knows what the future holds. He knows that this future is the making of a stubborn people that reject God and rebel against their rulers. Jesus grieves. He weeps. He does not revel in judgment, but his heart is broken. I find comfort in this. Whatever pierces your heart grieves God as well. You are not alone. Whatever you're experiencing right now, loneliness, financial hardship, sickness, fear, or something else, know that God grieves with you. As we face a strange world and all its struggles, I think it's fitting to read about the triumphal entry with Jesus weeping as he sees Jerusalem. He is grieved today at all the suffering in our world. God does not want suffering for our lives. Declaring Jesus as your king may not remove the immediate struggle, but it fixes our eternal destination. Palm Sunday challenges us to declare who Jesus is in our lives. You can find hope, a promise that goes beyond this moment by proclaiming Jesus as your King. There is another description of King Jesus in the Bible, one that we look forward to in the future, one that is not the humble, quiet picture that we read today, but one of Jesus as a fierce liberator. It comes from Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. It reads like this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. 
He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Palm Sunday reminds us of Jesus humbly laying down his life for us, and there will come a day when he rides in on his white war horse and liberates us from the struggles of this world. Will you let Jesus be king over your life? Go with Jesus.